How are you doing? Good. Cool. So, this sermon is kind of it's kind of two sermons really. Two short sermons. Don't worry. Um, the first sermon is for new Christians, uh, for people who want to be reminded of the basics. Really, the we'll see the fundamentals of our faith, maybe in a slightly different way. Um, And the first sermon, I want to come to you as you are. I want to meet you at your most vulnerable and give you some encouragement. I want you to know that your Father in heaven loves you. And I want to show you how Jesus proves that love to you on the cross. I'm just going to adjust this. It's a little high. The second is for confident, mature Christians. Christians for whom the basics are a given, Christians that know their Old and New Testament back to front, uh, I want to challenge you and encourage you to get out of your comfort zone, raise your standards, and stop avoiding your duty as an ambassador of your Father in heaven and an embodiment of Christ on earth empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm excited. So I think... So I think I was name-dropped in about half of the recent sermons on on training for spiritual discipline. Um, And that's because as a personal trainer, I'm in the business of training and discipline. Um, uh, And physical discipline is a lot like spiritual discipline. In fact, I think physical discipline is a spiritual discipline. I can do a whole sermon on that if you want. Um, But most conversations with me end up being that anyway, so I'm not going to do it here. Um, But it's my job as a PT to not only tell you what to do, but how to actually make yourself actually do it. To make a plan and stick to it. Because that's what being, that's what discipline is at the end of the day. Putting what you have learnt into practice, um, which is an easy thing to say. Not as easy a thing to do. I'd be out of a job if it was easy. Um, maybe you have found that it's not been easy over the last few weeks when you've tried to be tried to worship and pray and fast and be in fellowship in a way that's disciplined. Um, So I want to emphasise something that needs to be fully driven home if we're going to really understand the spiritual disciplines. And that's the importance of forgiveness. So we'll start with some principles of discipline. Uh, Whenever you set out to achieve something new, something different, I've got feedback. There we go. Whenever you set out to achieve something new, something different, you have to do something different. Andy has been trying to drive this quote into our heads lately. It's one of my favourite aphorisms. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. I've always said that. It's good. Uh, the point is, to get something new, you've got to do something new. Do a new thing. And not just once, but over and over again until it becomes who you are. This is another one of my favourite aphorisms. We are what we do repeatedly. It's often misattributed to Aristotle, but I like that. We are what we do repeatedly. No use doing it once. Uh, you know, one workout won't, won't change you, but 200 workouts spread across the year, that will do something to you. That will change you in significant ways. Same for spiritual discipline. And, and for our personal and collective pursuit of holiness, righteousness, 
and ultimately the kingdom of God. Do we want to get what we've always got or do we want to be conformed to the holiness and righteousness of God? It's not going to be who we are if we're only prepared to do what's required of us once or twice. And then in physical training, we also have this principle called progressive overload. Progressive overload, it's also called hormesis. In, in, in psychology, they call it exposure. Progressive overload is the idea that your body will be able to adapt and get better and stronger over time and more able to cope with things if you start small and do a little bit more and a little bit more, progressively getting harder over time, pushing yourself a little bit more. So we have these three principles of discipline. Do something new, do it repeatedly, and do it a little bit more each time until you get to the level that you want to be. And if you can follow these principles, whatever you want to achieve, you will eventually, it, will, it will eventually become who you are. So according to these principles, this is a little personal training lesson, if you want to be able to deadlift heavier, here's a plan. You start off small. Week one, you lift about, what's that, 50, 66 points, about 70% of what you, the, the most you can lift. Do a little bit more each time, and then 14 weeks later, you're at 111% of what you can lift. You, you can lift 10% more 14 weeks later. So start small, do it repeatedly until you get to the level you want to be. If you want to, uh, I've got this plan as well. If you want to run five kilometers, this is the plan. Um, this is the couch to 5K plan. How many people have this, just done the couch to 5K plan? Cool. Hey, woo! <laughs> so, but how many of you guys stuck to this plan exactly? One. One? <laughs> one person. Because, because we, make, we make plans. We make plans, but it's very difficult to stick to a rigid plan like this. We all fail. We miss things out. We get lazy. We make mistakes. And you know, if you make those mistakes, you shouldn't be surprised if you don't get what you set out to achieve. Um, because frankly, you don't deserve the thing that you get at the end of this plan <laughs> because you didn't put, do what was required of you. I hope I'm being fair there. Uh, you don't follow the plan. You don't get the prize. You don't get the reward if you don't put the effort in. But it doesn't matter who you are, everyone makes those mistakes. I've seen this literally hundreds of times. I haven't once come across someone who gets their plan 100% right. And these days, if, if people tell me they're on their plan 100%, I just assume they're lying to me somewhere. <laughs> um, even professional athletes and people who are in incredible shape with tremendous willpower, they all fall off the plan. I know I do. Um, and when I don't achieve my goals, I always know exactly why. It's because I wasn't disciplined enough to stick exactly to the plan. And so sticking to the plan is a lot more about mitigating these mistakes than it is about just being more disciplined. You know? No matter how perfect the plan is, everyone fails it. It's not a matter of if, but when, when you missed that run because it was raining that morning or you left your trainers at work or something like that. And when you do these things, your chance at reaching the goal dies. So how are we going to stack up when God commands us to be perfect and holy like he is? 
Uh, let's get into some scripture. Leviticus 19. Ugh. Leviticus 19 says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Um, and Peter, Peter, who's sort of Jesus' best friend, uh, Peter picks this up in the New Testament where he says, Like obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy in Leviticus. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your exile. But what does that actually look like in practice? What's the actual rules exactly to fear God and follow his holy law? Well, so we go back to Leviticus. Um, so it says, uh, uh, I be holy because I am the Lord your God, I'm holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep to my Sabbaths, I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols and make for yourselves God of cast metal, I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice, peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day you offer it, or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is not eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted, it will not be accepted, and everything, yada, 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 right? Basically, it's the Ten Commandments, but on steroids, right? Um, <laughs> So this is the plan. This is the plan for holiness. It's actually the whole book of Leviticus, 27 chapters of that. By the way, Leviticus is actually a really good book. Um, like you should read it. It's a rich and interesting bit of scripture if you devote some time to it. Um, I'm just dismissing it for rhetorical effect. So, um, but do we follow God's perfect plan for holiness exactly? Does anyone? No, we fail, we miss things out, we get lazy, we make mistakes. We all fall off plan and into sin. And our chance at reaching the goal dies. What's the goal? The intimate and obvious presence of God in everything we do. The kingdom of heaven and its many blessings. Life to the full. And we're cut off from that because of our sin. And instead of life, we inherit death. Just like everyone. everyone. Everyone all the way back to Adam and Eve. But, but God loves us immensely. He knows we do all this. But he doesn't want death for us. So instead of having that great divide between him and us, his holiness and our sin, he comes to earth as a human being and he does two things. He lives a perfect life and he dies a perfect death. And in the form of a man named Jesus Christ, he actually managed to do everything perfectly, just as God the Father commands us. He was without sin, without sin. Uh, 1 Peter says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 1 John says, in him there is no sin. And in John's gospel, uh, when Jesus is on trial in front of the Roman proconsul Pontius Pilate, it says, Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Guilty of nothing. Nobody has ever been so perfectly obedient to the will of our Father than Jesus, the Son of God. But on the other hand, the praise, the adoration, money, fame and power Joy, peace, safety from harm, good friends, 
and a long and happy life. All the good things that God blesses us with, all the good things that we believe people deserve when they live a good life and do everything right, Jesus didn't get that reward. Instead, rejection and ridicule, imprisonment, condemnation, a beating designed to tear the flesh from his back, sorrow, anxiety, unimaginable pain, betrayal, and death on a cross. Nobody has ever been further from the blessings of our Father in heaven than Jesus, the Son of God. The perfect life, the perfect death. But that's not the end of the story. And this is important. Jesus doesn't stay dead. He rose again. This is Peter Paul Rubens, by the way. Big fan. Um, why do you think he rose again? Well, here's what the Bible says. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses, verse 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection from the dead also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The example of Christ on the cross shows that even if we try our hardest to get everything exactly right, we might, it might still lead us to suffering, pain, and death. And yeah, that sucks. But that death does not exclude us from the chance to rise again in glory and join in with Jesus and the angels in heaven into new life, new creation, and the perfect intimate relationship with Almighty God in the highest and to receive the blessings and gifts that the Father has for us. So next time you set out to do some good thing and you think you're doing things the right way but it's still going badly for you, Remember, we worship and follow the example of a God who knows exactly what that's like, times infinity. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. You can't get to the Father except through Jesus the Son. You can't get to God's perfect holiness without God's forgiveness. You can't achieve anything through discipline without forgiveness. Forgiveness is the permission to try again the freedom from condemnation. It's the chance to be born again free from sin. It's the ability to overcome death. Not just because, oh, mate, don't worry about it. It's all right. You'll be okay. Just try harder next time, yeah? But because he has done it. Because God isn't just up there. He's right down here with us. And he has been in the worst possible places. So no matter where you find yourself, you cannot fall so far that you're out of God's reach. And no matter how much you didn't think, you think you didn't get what you deserved, Jesus Christ is right there with you. He knows that pain. Nobody has ever got anything as right as Jesus did. And nobody has ever died as spectacularly as Jesus did. 
Romans chapter 8 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So that was, the, that was the milk sermon for the, for the newborn Christians. <coughs> but not all of us here are newborn Christians. Uh, we're, some of us are a bit more mature in our faith. Uh, We're not babies anymore. We're toddlers. So we don't want milk. We want some food. We want some meat. So are we ready for some meat? Good. Is Phil here? (coughs) Phil's our token vegan. Some of my best friends are vegans. It's okay. So we'll, we'll begin the second sermon by talking about one of the worst things known to man. Trigger warning, trigger warning, guys. If you are easily upset, stop your ears and look look away now. It's tomatoes. Anyone who knows me knows that I really don't like tomatoes. Tomatoes are the the worst. I pick tomatoes out of my burgers and salads. Um, Before I was married, Ali, my wife, then girlfriend, used to live up in Bushy. She was lodging in a place with Amy Boxall, who some of you might remember from days of yore. Um, One day, I cycled up to Bushy after work, as was my custom. And I came in. I went up the stairs. Uh, I needed to go to the toilet, so I went to the the bathroom. And while I'm doing my business, I I hear on the other side of the door some some kind of giggling from Amy and Ali. Uh, Suspicious. So I slowly open the door, and to my horror, the landing is covered with tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I couldn't move, so this is real, right? Tomatoes are disgusting. I never liked them. I, I, don't, I don't even want them near me. Um, anyway, give me a second. <laughs> so this is tomato juice. This is, this is horrible, right? This stuff. Does anyone actually like this? Well, you're all wrong. <laughs> you're all wrong. It's terrible. Right, I'm going to pour out a glass of this. Hang on. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Oh. That is disgusting. Oh. 
this is, as, this is, this is horrible. <sighs> oh, it smells like, de as far as I'm concerned, this is a cup of death. <laughs> I'd rather, I, honestly, I'd rather drink a gallon of plague-ridden corpses. That's disgusting. Okay, I'm going to leave that there for now. Right. <laughs> and we'll turn to some scripture. Right. Luke. Luke 22. So this is happening just after the disciples have had their Passover meal. Um, and uh, it's a, or the Lord's Supper, as we call it, the, the institution of the Eucharist, the bread and the wine. We're going to do that later. Um, and, oh, by the way, Passover and Good Friday are on the same day this year, which is cool. So it all, all lines up. Um, so they've just spent the evening celebrating, remembering the sacrifices the early Jewish people made so that they would no longer be slaves in Egypt. And they've eaten this big meal, they've eaten well, but Jesus isn't feeling very good. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So with springtime, the equinox are changing the clocks, uh, the Passover feast, and of course, the Easter holidays, all happening around this time. In this series, we're having a proper detailed look at some of the events around the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane just means oil press. Um, so, and Luke calls it here the Mount of Olives. So it's basically like a, a hill with like a public park with some olive trees uh, where they make olive oil. And it's, uh, it's a place that Jesus likes to go and pray in the evenings. But this isn't going to be a nice evening of quiet prayer for Jesus, like it might have been in, in the past. And that's because Jesus knows that on the night of the Passover feast, he is going to be betrayed and brought to be killed. And here we get a small glimpse into the mental state that Jesus was in. Basically, not great. And anyone who has ever been to a Passover feast knows that it's meant to be a time of celebration and gratitude and games and family. But not for Jesus, not, not tonight. He's stressed. You may or may not know this, uh, although it says here his sweat was like drops of blood, um, it's actually possible that Jesus literally sweat blood. Um, it's, it's been seen with people who can, are under extreme levels of stress. The blood vessels pop and blood seeps out of their skin. Jesus here is acutely aware of what is about to happen. He knows exactly what he has to do and what it's going to be like. It's not like he was surprised by the whole thing and suddenly just, he just had to handle it. He's sweating blood and praying earnestly in anticipation of what's going to happen. 
And what exactly is he praying? So according to Luke, he says two things. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Is he just holding on to a cup still? Has anyone ever done that? Where you walk out of the pub still holding on to your empty glass? Just me, okay. <laughs> um, no, what cup are we talking about here? Question and answer session. Bible scholars, what, what cup is this? The cup of crucifixion. Cup of suffering, cup, cup, of, cup of wrath. The cup of God's wrath. So the, this imagery of the cup, it appears, first in the Bible, it appears in Psalm 60. It says, got it here? Do, do, do. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defences. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink and made us stagger. And then it appears again in Psalm 75. It says, For not from the east or the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it's God who executes judgment, putting down one thing and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and the wicked of the earth shall drain it to the dregs. And the, then the prophets use this imagery, especially Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, Thus the Lord God of Israel said to me, take, it, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword I am sending among them. Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink and be drunk and vomit. Fall and rise no more because of the sword I am sending among you. It's no wonder Jesus is a bit stressed. It's no wonder that he doesn't want this cup. Not least because he doesn't even deserve it. He's sinless, remember? But then, then he prays a second thing. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows he's in for a hard time. He knows he's going to have to endure some suffering that he doesn't really deserve. But he accepts it for the sake of God the Father. It's, it's easy to let things be easy. It's easy to think that being a Christian is about sort of turning up on Sunday to this, to this rock and roll coffee club. But that's not how we put what we have learned from Jesus into practice. It's not what being a disciple of Jesus is about. The central event in our faith is one of willing sacrifice. Going through some pain now to get to something better in the future. Are you doing this? US Navy SEALs call it embracing the suck. <laughs> this sucks and I don't want to do it, but I'll embrace it. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible actually tells us, count it pure joy when you face trials. It also says, deny yourself. Ooh, my iPad's on that. <laughs> deny yourself and take up your cross. Don't try and save your own life. Blah. I don't know what your cross is. You have to figure that out for yourself. 
But I can tell you that with Jesus, you can endure it. You will endure it. And you know how I know that? It's because on the third day, Jesus rose again. Christians, do you not realize this is our superpower? This is what makes us different in the world. This is Christ in us. You shall not perish, but have eternal life. Not even death can stop it. Where is death's sting now, now that we have Jesus? A couple of weeks ago, Tom, who's here somewhere, mentioned that uh, Polycarp, the Christian martyr, who actually prophesied that he was going to be burnt alive for his faith by the Romans. And instead of running away and saving his life, he said, this is, this is a quote, what are you waiting for? Bring it on. And he stood in the flames. And since the very beginning, this is how God creates everything, not just by everything perfectly, joyfully going together, but through difficulty and endurance and willing sacrifice. By this and through this, all things are made. This is everything God has been about from the very beginning. This is, this is the bush that burns but is not consumed. It's Abraham willing to sacrifice his son, who he loves and he's put all of his hope in. He's willing to give up that. You have no idea of the depths of struggle and pain that you can withstand if you are willing to give up everything that you might worship, everything else that you might worship otherwise, and hold fast to God and the sacrifice that he has provided for you. Because, of course, this is also Jesus, the Messiah, who willingly died so that we might know God. Not only death, but death on a cross, the most painful, drawn-out, horrible death that conceived by man. And it's fitting that today is Mothering Sunday, when your mum when okay, I have to give birth. Good, she said. I embrace it. I want to do this. Whatever you need to sacrifice so that God may be glorified in you, you need to joyfully, willingly give it up. With Jesus, you can do it. Whether it's comfort or safety or even your own life. And I'm going to prove you can do it now by drinking this cup. <laughs> I'm gonna, I am going to need some encouragement. Give me like a drum roll or something. Here we go. Oh, no, take it away. I can't, right. Uh. Actually worse than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> all right. In about three days, I'll be all right. <sighs> oh. Father God, help us to know that you love us. <sighs> Thank you that instead of pouring out your wrath on us, you took the suffering on yourself, so that instead of inheriting death, 
we would have the chance at new life. Thank you for all the blessings that you give us, even though we don't deserve them. Give us the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to endure suffering for your sake and remind us by the example of your, by the example of your son, Jesus, to take up our cross and embrace the suck. Amen. Amen.